0: Bibles. We're going to jump to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. I uh, I felt the Lord saying even as we were singing. Um, I don't know. I don't know. This this feels like a shot in the dark but I believe it's to be declared. John chapter 10 verse 10 says the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. The thief comes to steal, kill and And destroy. Let me say it again. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. That is the enemy. Just know he's at work in our midst. He does not like this. He does not like us looking to Jesus. He does not like us saying, Yep, I'm gonna build my life upon him and I will not be shaken. The thief doesn't like that. He comes to steal and kill. And destroy Everything you see precious in this life, he wants to ruin. He will have your life. He will have those who are most precious to you. He will destroy your life. That's what he does. But Jesus says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. This is the impression that I have. I don't know where to stick it, so I'm going to say it and let the Lord deal with it where he wants to. But I I believe there is maybe someone who has come here this morning wanting to make fun of Jesus, but you're also one who who is rattled with suicidal thoughts. You're rattled with suicidal thoughts. Your life has been a mess. And you're just like, man, it's not even worth living. You've had those, those difficult thoughts. You battle with them. You've considered suicide. And you've come in here almost as a joke. Just kind of like, ha, those Christians, these, these churches. I just want you to know you're dancing with the devil. He, the thief, the enemy, he comes to steal and kill. And he wants your life. He wants you to think that you came in here only to just smile and uh, smirk at what the the church is all about but jesus has utilized this for a redeeming moment in your life to remind you to show you that he has come to give you life to actually tear down those thoughts of suicide and give you life and life in abundance and this today is salvation for you just believe that i don't know this there is unction on my soul There there is life and life abundant if you would just humble yourself before Jesus. Your life will not ultimately be shaken. It will not ultimately be torn down by the enemy, by the thief. It will be life and life in abundance with Jesus. So if that's you, I just want to lay it there and let the Holy Spirit trouble your soul. The sweet troubling of the Holy Spirit. is so good to trouble our souls. To confront all the, the pride and all the flippancy that we carry towards Jesus and towards His church. Oh, the Holy Spirit is good to trouble those waters. He troubles those waters so that you'd finally give up the struggle and lean into Jesus. He came that you whatever your name is, that you might have life and have it abundantly. Today's your day. He will have you if you'd humble yourself and give yourself to him. So Jesus, even right now, we pray for your mighty hand upon... The one or ones that that was for, Lord, we bless it in your name. We bless what you do in our midst, that when we come here on Sunday mornings, even as has been stated again and again in our prayer meetings, you just never know what to expect. And Lord, that's because you rule the time. You can do what you want with our time this morning. We want to be sensitive to it, but you get to rule and reign over heaven and earth and particularly over your church. Who are we to say this is the way it's got to go when you are the one? You're the head, Lord. You're the head. You're the beloved head. You are the beloved head. You are the great bridegroom of the church. You will not allow your bride to become tainted. You will not allow your bride to be become undone. No, you will tend to her. In all your authority, and all your power, you will tend to her. And so, Jesus, we invite you to tend to us. (laughs) Protect us. Protect us from the enemy. But, O Lord, add, add to the many. Add to the number of your bridegroom, we pray. Add to your church. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Amen. This morning we're going to do things perhaps a little differently. I don't know if it will feel different altogether. Um, But I want to look at Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 with you. Um, What we're going to do is um, just kind of talk through the text and deal then on the back end of that with this particular statement on the whiteboard. We'll deal with the text because one of the things that we have to realize as we jump into the book of Galatians, we're actually jumping into like a conversation that we haven't been necessarily a part of. Paul is interacting with the churches in Galatia and it's like, where? wait, where are you guys at? Like, we're, we're just jumping in on their conversation kind of midstream. We don't always have the context in view, so it's important for us to slow down, understand what the text is here, but then as we do with the Bible is to apply rules of interpretation to scripture, like Paul's got his own thing going on with the Galatians in this particular text, but we also need to... Understand that and then begin to understand the principles at play so we can rightly apply them to ourselves. Does that make sense? Yes, we got to know the conversation. We got to know what's happening with Paul in the church of Galatia, right? In order to take away the principles that might be then applied to us as the church today. That's the way God's word works, right? We need to know the context, we need to understand the principles at work in that context, and then rightly apply those principles to our own hearts and lives. So Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, Paul has already begun all the way back in chapter 1, verse 11, he's beginning to defend his ministry, right? Because if you would go to Acts chapter 13, we would find that Paul and Barnabas have gone into the region of Galatia, which is north of the Mediterranean Sea, and they've seen churches planted in various cities. But as they've done that, what has also happened is these individuals called Judaizers, right? There are these false teachers are coming in kind of behind them, and they're confusing the people, saying, hey, You need to have Jesus, yeah, if you have to, but then also add Old Testament law to Jesus in order to gain salvation with Jesus. Make sense? And Paul is saying that is absolutely, uh, that absolutely goes against all that Jesus has done for us we don't add anything to Jesus if you add anything to Jesus you end up with a different gospel you end up with a different hope you end up with a different Jesus altogether you don't add anything to Jesus it's Jesus and Jesus alone so Paul has begun to say hey I didn't just show up on the scene randomly it is god who has worked through me to bring this gospel to bear upon others and to see these churches established you know if you want to undo the gospel well you undo the messenger of the gospel and that's what's happening in the churches of galatia these false teachers are saying well let's undermine paul We'll, we'll do a smear tactic on him, very similar to what happens in the, the news today, in the political world today. It's smear, smear tactics. Right? Don't believe what they're saying because here's what we know about them. Similar cases going on here. False teachers are coming into the churches and they're saying, oh, yeah, Paul, Paul, Paul is sharing with you a wrong gospel. You know, he came out of absolutely no. He used to persecute the church. He's the bad guy. And therefore, don't believe in his message. Believe in our message. And Paul goes on to say, as we've seen already in chapter 1, verse 11 and following, how he begins to defend his ministry. But he continues that in chapter 2, verse 1, where he states this. He states, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas. So 14 years later, there's massive portions of time that are going by so this perhaps is 14 years from paul's conversion this perhaps is added on to the three years and the prior years that he speaks of in chapter one we don't exactly know but it's not necessary to the point that paul is making here a time a significant amount of time has passed after 14 years he says He goes to Jerusalem. He's already been ministering. He's already been planting churches. He's already seen the gospel have effect upon people. And now he goes to Jerusalem. And he goes with Barnabas. And he takes Titus as well. He says, I went up because of a revelation. He went to Jerusalem... Not because it was his idea, not because it was his wisdom, not because he saw the kind of uh, the landscape of all that was happening with the churches in Galatia and thought, oh, I better go to Jerusalem to affirm this gospel that I've, I've been given with those who are at Jerusalem, Peter, James, John, and the crew. He says, no, I went up to Jerusalem because of a revelation. God's doing this. God has led me. God is leading me to Jerusalem. He says, I went up because of a re- revelation and set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential. Again, this is probably the apostles that he speaks. So he goes to Jerusalem because God told him to, right? And he, he, he goes to set before them, the apostles, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles. Why, Paul? Why are, you going, why are you going out of your way to go to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles who are there to present this gospel that you proclaimed among the Gentiles? Well, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. This is very important to understand. Paul is not saying, yeah, I'm just really not sure I got the real Jesus. He's not doubting himself. He's not saying, I'm going to Jerusalem to speak with the apostles because, oh man, I'm not really sure that I got it straight. It's quite the opposite. He's saying, I am so firm, I am so devoted to the gospel that I have received. It didn't come through man, it came through Jesus himself, interrupting me on that Damascus road. And then evidently from that Damascus road, Paul has had encounter after encounter after encounter. Even now he has a revelation that takes him to Jerusalem so that he might present the gospel to the apostles. So that, for this purpose, not because he's doubting it, but because... He says, "If if the apostles say that I have a false gospel, then all the work that I've done, all through those fourteen years of ministry, are going to be done in vain." That's right. Dun, 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 dun. That was perfect. <laughs> perfect. All right, man. You guys should do more of that. Like anticipate the moment. Dun, 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 dun. No, you're good. You're good. But that's the reason Paul is saying, I don't doubt this gospel. I received it directly through Jesus on that Damascus road. I know in whom I believed and I'm willing to suffer for it. He's not going to Jerusalem because, oh, I'm just not so sure. He's not doubting Paul, right? He is one who is firm in the gospel, but he's saying, oh my, if the apostles say that I have a twisted gospel that's going to undermine my ministry for 14 years where I've planted churches and I've done what I've done and see God work. It's going to undermine. He's putting putting his whole ministry at risk by going to the apostles. So what is the result of this? Well, verse 3 he says, but even Titus, who was with me. Titus is a Greek, which means he's a Gentile. Even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be what? All right. Thought thought you were showing up here to hear about Jesus this morning, right? Here we are, circumcision. Though he was a Greek. What in the world is that? What is he talking about? Remember the Old Testament. What was the sign that you belonged to God's people? Anybody? Circumcision. Circumcision, All right. Going all the way back to Abraham. Remember the promises were made to Abraham. Hey, you're going to be the father of many nations. Through you will come a blessing. You're going to have an offspring, right? That is not only going to birth a nation, but through that nation, it's going to become a blessing to all nations. But here's the sign. You must be circumcised. And your male prodigy must be circumcised, all as a sign to say that you are now bound into God's purposes. If you're gonna have a baby, people are gonna know, or at least your spouse is gonna know, you belong to God. What you're doing in that moment together has everything to do with God's purposes because you've been bound into this family of God. You are bound into the promises to see a people established through whom a redeemer might come and be a blessing to all the nations. Right? So that's Old Testament. That was part of the law. Now, quickly on in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 10, Deuteronomy chapter 30. Moses cries out over the people and declares... We do not need merely an external circumcision to identify ourselves with the people of God. But it will be God's intention to circumcise the heart. heart. God just doesn't want you bound to him by obligation. He wants your heart. So, as the New Testament arrives and Jesus steps onto the scene, Jesus will say in Matthew chapter 5, I have come not to abolish that Old Testament ritual and all the laws contained therein, but I have come to fulfill it. I I have come to be the answer to all that those laws pointed to. I now am the fulfillment, I'm the one through whom the promises are to be fulfilled. I am the Messiah, right? So with Jesus now, all the ceremonial laws are fulfilled in him. We don't have a sacrificial system anymore. Why? Talk to me. Blood of the Lamb. Blood of the lamb. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the beast. Jesus has become. Why don't we have a priesthood anymore? Jesus. Jesus. He, is priest. he is the high priest, Right. He's the one who mediates. He is the one who has accomplished everything that the law had put forward. So even when it comes to circumcision, the identifier of the people of God, Paul will say it's no longer about a circumcision of the flesh, but it's about a circumcision of the heart. It's about heart transformation. When you trust in Jesus, you're not just agreeing to a bunch of propositions of who he is. It's not just about head knowledge. It's about a surrender of the heart in which the Holy Spirit comes in and makes you new. So, back to the text. Paul is saying, we went to Jerusalem to present our gospel to the apostles. And the apostles In other words, he's saying, received us completely. In fact, they didn't even require Titus to be circumcised. They weren't pushing this Old Testament law on us. Why? Because even they recognized that Jesus had satisfied it all. It's Jesus alone that makes us fit for God, not our own doing. It's Jesus plus nothing. It's only Christ. So that is Paul's point here. Even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet, verse 4, because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our... free. This is all military terms. This idea of secretly being brought in, slipping in to spy out our... free. It's all military terms. It's these... Covert actions right they're, they're coming under the sea so to speak right they're coming as secret agents infiltrating the church that's the idea and why they're spying out our freedom that we have in Christ so that they might bring us into what slavery, slavery. false teachers aren't coming in declaring themselves as false teachers that doesn't happen they're coming in covert right they're coming in a secret they look like any other christian they look like you and me they sound like you and me they'll sing the songs like you and me they'll do things like you and me but they're there to spy out a freedom A freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. Of course, Paul was more so saying, hey, it's the freedom from the law. Paul will say elsewhere in his letters, he will say, it's the law that condemns. It's the law that shows us that we aren't what we should be. But now Jesus has fulfilled that. So I don't live under any kind of guilt or sense of uh, obligation to the law. There's freedom, complete freedom. You didn't earn your place with God. Jesus earned it for you. Now, even with Jesus, there's not these this law of obligation burdening you to kind of fulfill, you know, whatever seemingly is lacking in Jesus. No, it's Jesus fully and finally, all of Jesus. That's the freedom that we get to live under. I didn't do anything to gain grace with God. God has won the day for me through Christ Jesus such that I get the grace. Jesus alone gets the glory. Right? So we have these false teachers slipping in, spying out our freedom that we have in Jesus Christ so that they might bring us into slavery, so that they might begin to persuade the church. Oh, no, 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 no. You you don't get to be that free. Let's pull you. You need this circumcision. You need these laws. You need these obligations. You need to feel guilty if you're not. Pulling you back into slavery. But verse five. To them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment. That term submission is another military term. <laughs> they came with military tactics, covert. And we came with military tactics. We came and we did not submit to them. We stood our ground in Jesus Christ. To them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment. So that the truth of the gospel might be what? What? Preserved for who? For you. Paul's like, we stood against those false teachers. We stood against their false teaching. Why? So that the life, grace of the gospel might be preserved for the church. It's incredible. Paul's saying, we went to war for you. We went to war for you. So that the gospel, this life-giving truth might be preserved for you. That gives you a little idea of the text there. Just reading through it. I want you to look here. Boom. Here's our big statement. This is like more than probably what uh, we we should be taking a Sunday for. The point of this text is to get at this particular truth... That Jesus alone makes me fit for the freedom of relationship with God. Jesus alone makes me fit for the freedom of relationship with God. Paul goes to Jerusalem. He's taking Titus. Remember the conversation at plays. These false teachers have come in. They want to say, no, it's Jesus plus law plus circumcision. You've you got to have this external sign. That you belong to Yahweh. Very similar to the way church is done today. You gotta dress a certain way, you gotta talk a certain way, you have to have certain styles and way of doing things, and only then are you received into the church. Right? Yes, have Jesus, but now fit our mold. But Paul is saying, no, it's Jesus alone. Titus was not made to be circumcised. Even the apostles, Peter, James, they're saying, nope, we freely receive you. We see, we see the Holy Spirit at work in these people. Which authenticates that gospel message that once again, Jesus alone makes us fit for the freedom of relationship with God. Right? Jesus alone makes us The idea here is this, is that when Jesus died upon that cross, he suffered all the wages, all the penalty of our sin. Anything you've ever done wrong, all the wrong that you've done that you don't even realize, all the good that you failed to do, everything, Jesus paid for it on that cross. And so Jesus, before his spirit was taken, He says, it is finished. He satisfied the debt you and I deserved to pay. He satisfied it in full. And not only did he satisfy it, but 2 Corinthians 5:21 says, he also gave us his righteousness.? Right? So it's not only that he satisfied the debt, but he's given us his wrap sheet of perfect living. Jesus never sinned. He was perfect. He did everything the Father called him to do. It was perfect obedience. He was a perfect lamb that was thrown upon that altar and crucified for us. Yes, so it might expiate, take care of our sins, but also so it might impute to us his righteousness. You stand as one who's trusted in Jesus alone. You stand as one through whom God does not see your brokenness. He does not see your failings. He does not see your failures. He sees Jesus' perfect righteousness. That's freedom. That's how he relates to you. He relates to you, not looking down at you like, you screwed up this past week, what you doing? No, you have a... Perfect standing, a legal stand, a right to have relationship with God. Because he can't help but see you through his own son. He sees your sin, paid, cast into the depths of the sea. Never to be pulled up. Don't pull up your sin. As Christians, we love to do that uh, trudging work, casting those hooks down to the bottom of the sea, pulling up our sin all over again, right? We're doing all this work. We know we got to atone. No, we got to pay for it. No, we have to to hold on to our sin. No, it belongs in the depths of the sea. It belongs, as other texts would say, Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west. He's removed it from us. Don't go looking for it. Don't go living by it. Don't go seeing yourself according to it. No, it's been done away with at the cross. So Paul later in Galatians would say, I've been crucified with Christ. What does he mean by that? All my failings, all my self-righteousness, all my failing, all my sin has been crucified with him, satisfied in him. So yes, it is at the bottom of the sea, never to be brought up again. That's the beauty of Jesus. That's what he does for us. But yes even beyond that we are accredited with jesus righteousness god can't see you through what you've done failed to do he can only see you through the lens of his own son the perfect righteousness therein that folks is freedom it's freedom it's freedom to live there you're not now motivated by guilt well i don't add up i haven't done enough you're moved by grace I am guilt free. I am perfectly accepted. I didn't have to do anything. Nothing can get me out of this. No one can separate me from the love of Christ. I am more than a conqueror. It's Romans chapter 8. End of the chapter. I am more than a conqueror. Why? Because I have this freedom. That cannot be undone. Because it has been sealed in the blood of Jesus Christ. I stand there. Perfect, fit. Do you feel fit? No. (laughs) I don't feel fit from this past week. But I don't look at myself. I look to Jesus. I am fit because of him. Right. That is the gospel. That is the freedom that we have in the gospel. But those Judaizers, what are they saying? No, 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 no. Don't stand on Jesus. No, stand on your own performance. Are you circumcised or are you not? Well, you better be circumcised. No, no, no. We're not standing in our performance. We're standing in the performance of Jesus. He alone makes us fit for freedom in relationship to God. And let me then just get to this. It's it's seen in the text specifically as Paul says, I received a revelation from the Lord. Don't you think, don't you think, whether it's Old Testament heroes of the faith or whether it's Paul himself who said, I have a revelation from the Lord. Don't think... That once you are saved and you have this perfect position in Jesus. That now that's the end of it. You have that perfect position in Christ. God can only see you through his son. So that you might have a relationship with him. The father wants to reveal his very presence to you. That's why, Paul, it's not strange. I had a revelation. <laughs> the Lord told me to go to Jerusalem. Oh, that's Paul. He was an apostle. You know, Those were those early church guys. And man, God did weird things. Stop it. Stop. There is more of God for you to know and enjoy than you could ever imagine. Now, now, now. Not then. Now. The problem is, is we're just well, we're good with our theology that I've been justified by faith alone in Christ alone, and I just stand there on that theology, just stare at it, and once in a while I'll put my hands up when we sing about it. Isn't that cool? That justification has bought you relationship. It's the relationship. Paul's ministry to the Gentiles would be authenticated. Not based upon, well, did he teach a perfect gospel of justification. But whether or not the Holy Spirit actually showed up in signs and wonders. In clear manifestations of his presence to prove that gospel. You get what I'm saying? The gospel in the early church was authenticated by the move of the spirit. A move of the spirit that you could see. And you could know, and you could hear, and you could feel, and you could experience. But in the West, we relegate all that down to just, no, I made a confession of faith at one point in time. And once in a while, I read my Bible, and I kind of, like, oh, that's nice. That was encouraging, met me at a good point. But we have absolutely no spiritual hunger. And I'm just going to say it this way, and you can like let it stir you. I, and sometimes, look, I need to offend you. I'm not a good pastor if I don't offend you. I think for most of us, we don't have a clue. We don't have a clue as to what it really means to know the personal presence of a holy you knew it. You would be addicted to it. Oh, the flesh wants to battle against it. So does false teachers. They want to take you away from the addictive freedom of that incredible relationship that you might have with God. The flesh rages against it. So do false teachers. Let's get you away from that freedom, that addictive presence. And I'm not speaking of emotionalism. I think in the West, we fabricated all of that with grand music, loud music, lights going this way and that way, doing all kinds of crazy things in order to feel like we're having an experience. It's a facade. When it comes to the personal presence of the Lord, it doesn't even require noise. It requires even just a moment of stillness, of inclining your heart to the Lord of glory. And he's always hidden in plain sight. He comes to you, making himself known to you, embracing you as the child that you are. It's as simple as that. You say, well, why do we need all of this then? If it's just that personal, if it's really that true, that you can have that personal relationship. Theology leads to doxology. Do we know that? Maybe okay. Theology, truth, is intended to lead us to worship. Truth Is intended to fuel our hearts toward the place of encounter with the Lord it's to be hung oh this is who he is oh that's what he provides. oh man I'm going after him Jesus will warn the the religious of the day in John 5 he'll say oh yeah you you know this thing inside and out man you know it inside and out and in it you try to find life but you're missing the whole point It's this that points to me. I am life. Theology is not meant to be an end in itself. It is to get us to the personal presence of Christ. How how is holiness produced in us? How do I become what I know I'm not? What do I become what I know my flesh rages against? Well, if I just know these verses and say them enough and figure it out enough, this is not a cerebral activity. This is not just like this mystical idea that I can pull out verses and it magically makes my flesh mortified. It's that this truth points to a real Jesus who transforms my heart. It's not about the externals anymore. It's about the internal encounter with the almighty God. He changes it so that even 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Oh, Paul will remind us. He'll remind us. Do you know the stories of Moses in the Old Testament? God spoke to him as like one speaks to a friend. How Moses apprehended, saw the backside of God's glory, had these incredible encounters with the Lord of glory. (laughs) And Paul states, by the way, what you have in Christ today far surpasses that. You catch? Are you guys with me? Yes? Yes. Okay. He walked with God as a man walks with his friend. He had these incredible encounters of the glory of God. Paul says, you in Christ Christ have far more. He says, the ministry of Moses, by way of the law, was a ministry of death. (laughs) The ministry now that you have in Christ is one of life. What he encountered of God in the Old Testament, that's small things to what you have in Christ, here and now. God avails himself, as maybe we could say, as John Piper states, he's one of the run to. God is the gospel. Why does God give you forgiveness of sins through Jesus? Just so you can feel better about your guilt? <laughs> well, why, why does God say, No, I'm saving you from an eternal damnation. Why, why does he give that to us in Jesus? Just so we can escape hell? He does it. He does all of that. He forgives our sins So that we might know relationship, encounter, real experience, not flighty emotionalism. And should we then choose to stand on anything but Jesus, depend upon anything but Jesus, it's going to get in the way of freedom. And folks, I just wanna say this, that this freedom of relationship that we have with God, the picture that I got as I was studying through this, uh, I think Tozer mentions it at some point in his book on worship. He says what many Christians are doing today is trying to sew up the veil that Jesus in his cross rent. All right, okay, we get, let's sew this back up. This is, making me, this is making me uncomfortable that I can step into the holy of holies. I don't like stepping into the holy of holies. Why? Because when I'm in his presence, when I know his holy presence, what does it show of myself? I ain't holy. What does it demand of me but to surrender my comforts? When you encounter him, it, has, it demands that you put something to death in yourself. That's why Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to follow after me, who is the holy one, the glorious one, It'll demand that you die daily to yourself. I don't want to die daily. I better get my my needle and thread out here and start putting this veil back together. I will lean towards slavery rather than freedom. I will hide in my bondage because I don't want to follow after Jesus and die to myself daily. But if you don't die to yourself daily then you don't get the grace and encounter that he so wonderfully provides in relationship to him. You get it? We are not going to resort to any other gospel but Jesus alone. Why? Because, oh, that is the freedom of relationship that we can have with God. The gospel gives us relationship. And finally, then, as the text says, it's this that must be preserved at all costs. As Paul is stating. Why, why is he going to Jerusalem? Why is he even risking that the apostles would uh, kind of fall back in fear. And maybe undermine the ministry that he's had for 14 days. Or 14 years. Why, why is he willing to risk all of that? Well for the sake of preserving the gospel at all costs. I'm going to go down there. God told me to. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to present my gospel, not because I doubt it, but this gospel needs to go before those who he qualifies as being influential. <laughs> the word itself is kind of this way in which he's like, yeah, I know, I know there's some, they walked with Jesus, but they're just men. That's the idea of like, they seemed influential. Right. So he brings this, this gospel to them. He risks all of this, Why? Well, so that, as he says, the gospel might actually be preserved. Now, do we do the preserving of the gospel? Can can you control the gospel? Can you, like, put it, okay, we're going to preserve this thing? No. But we are a means that God uses to preserve it. God is the ultimate preserver of his truth. All truth is God's truth. It's his. And so... He's the one who, but he's chosen particular means to preserve this gospel, particularly at all costs. Then, even for those who are yet to believe this idea that it is being preserved for you in verse five at the very end. So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you has the idea it's in plural. So it's it's all these churches, but. Even with these churches in Galatia, it's not just geographic in nature, but generational in nature. It's that even the people who are yet to come to faith in Jesus, oh, we are preserving that gospel for them. What a ministry. What a ministry to see, yep, I care about you, and I care about those who are going to come to faith through you. And we're going to preserve this gospel because there is a mission that is going to move forward from generation to generation to generation. Your kids, kids and kids and kids, right? Oh, that we might preserve the gospel for them. You may say, Dan, why are you so caught up on this experiential relationship with God? If we don't recognize that God is the gospel, i.e. John Piper, right? If we don't recognize that the gospel, the propositions of Jesus alone, right, is to produce this freedom of relation. If we cut out the relationship, even though we might have good theology, we will still become those of cold religion. It is one step away. You can't read the work of Paul. You can't look at his ministry. You can't look at his activity of seeking to preserve the gospel for the next generation and it not all be authenticated by the active presence of God. Not just by propositions. It is the active presence of God in us through us working on our behalf. Yes. That helps us preserve this Jesus alone gospel. So when it comes to experience, that's my, oh, that's, that's at the depth of all that I am as a pastor the thing. I don't think it's changed over the years that we would have a true experiential relationship with the Lord of glory. What I want to do in closing is just pray for us. I find I find in some ways that I'm like saying the same thing over and over again, praying the same thing over and over and over for us. And it may seem as though like dude you're saying the same same thing over and over again. I'll I'll let God determine when he satisfies that burden for my heart and it's time to move on to something else. And yet, to be honest, I don't know that we are supposed to move on to anything else. That's kind of the point of the book of Galatians. It is Jesus. It is Jesus. It's about his personal presence with his people. Doesn't go beyond that. Do you hunger for more of Jesus? Do you yearn to be in this place of freedom of relationship with Him? Not just by propositions, but by experience. For it's only then that you can truly become one who rightly can join the Lord in seeing that gospel preserved for the next generation. Oh to have more of. The Lord is just bringing to mind the uh, parable of the virgins. Parable of the virgins is that Jesus, as the bridegroom, is coming back one day. But He references these virgins who, who are anticipating this wedding day, and they have these lamps because it's evidently late at night and. They fill these lamps with oil. And some, some work harder (laughs) to fill their lamps with the oil, while others don't. And for the others, the lamps burn out. They're still there anticipating the coming of the bridegroom, but they have no oil left. They're unprepared. They're standing, if you will, in the dark. And they're standing there without the substance, the oil. And as the bridegroom comes back, it's Jesus then who who commends those who've ensured that there was enough oil. They've done the work to make sure they had oil in their lamps. And so for us as individuals, that is a call that we need to take seriously upon our own hearts. Are we stirring, storing up oil? Are we anticipating the bridegroom? If you remember, oil is the symbol of the presence of the Lord. It's the symbol of the Holy Spirit. It's Many in our day have all kinds of containers, but they lack the substance. They have a form of Christianity, but the substance is gone. The oil is gone. It's burned out and they're leaning on the fact that they just have but lamps. When the day comes when Jesus returns. Jesus says it'll be those virgins without oil that'll be running to the others to say, give us your oil, give us your oil, give us your oil. But that intimacy with the Lord, having been filled with the oil of his presence, cannot be just automatically transferred to another. It has to go through the the process of knowing the presence of the Lord, encountering the presence of the Lord, being filled with his spirit. So that in the waiting for the Lord, there is oil that burns brightly, a light that shines brightly. Folks, oh, that that would be true for Mercy Gate, that we would shine brightly, not out of our own strength, not out of, a we got... We got church forms, but we lack the substance. May it be said of Mercy Gate, yep, we knew the presence of the Lord and how we tended to the presence of the Lord. And oh, the oil that we knew, we dripped with oil. We knew his presence, and so we burned brightly until his coming, until his coming. Folks, that's the battle that's raging right now. The world wants to supply everything else. It's the thief who wants to come, kill, steal, and destroy, get in the way of our personal relationship with the Lord, to say, oh, no, 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 there's not that much to experience of God. Oh, that there's not, that don't give time to, don't fast, don't give, don't pursue. Just live your life. You're good. You've got the positional righteousness. No, We must be those who steward well the relationship with God, who know the Holy Spirit, store up the oil as we await Jesus' return. So Holy Spirit, I pray even now that you would make our hearts fit for the oil of your presence, that we would have such appetite for you that nothing could get in the way. Pleasures of life could not get in the way. Lord, we don't want our, our own even entertainments to get in the way. We don't even want our view of what Christianity has been to get in the way. Lord we need you, we need the power of your presence to come and to fill us afresh, granting us appetite, insatiable, addictive, I've got to have more of Jesus. I got to learn what it is to walk this relationship out with consistency, praying without ceasing, becoming an actual reality in our lives, giving thanks in all circumstances, becoming a Reality in our lives. Why? Well, we know the presence of the Lord and I know as I walk through my day He is with me through good times through bad times actually circumstances have real no effect upon me because the Holy One is with me He is in me speaking to me revealing things to me showing me truth how it applies in the moment Oh for such an intimacy with you Lord. Oh for such an intimacy We have eaten from the dust enough. For Jesus, you are the fountainhead. You are the fountainhead. You are the fountainhead. You are the great bridegroom. You are the sum and the substance. So Lord, you hear this often from me. Create in us such a hunger for this freedom of relationship with you. Dying to ourselves that we might live in the freedom of relationship with you. Lord, don't let us pick up the the sewing needle and the thread anymore. We don't want to undo the work that you've done, even with our good theology. Lord, we need to know the burning center of your presence. We need to know the holy place. We need to know it. We need to know that that cloud by day and that pillar of fire by night. We need to know your, your, your abiding presence over the ark of the covenant. We need to know it, Lord. We need to know your presence. Stir in us a hunger... Not be satisfied. We pray, In Jesus, mighty name. Second Corinthians chapter three. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is Freedom. Freedom. And we all with unveiled faces, may this be the case for us, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Grace and peace to you guys. May you live this week in the freedom of the Spirit. Amen.